evidence-based nursing podcast. I'm Lisa Kidd, a reader in supported self-management in the Nursing and Healthcare School at the University of Glasgow and an associate editor of Evidence-Based Nursing Journal. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Sarah Russell in today's podcast, who works as a practice and professional development facilitator for the national charity Dementia UK. Dementia UK provides specialist dementia support for families through the Admiral Nurse Service. Today, Sarah will be discussing her commentary on a study entitled, What Does It Take to Deliver Brilliant Home-Based Palliative Care Using Positive Organisational Scholarship and Video Reflexive Ethnography to Explore the Complexities of Palliative Care at Home. Welcome, Sarah. Would you begin by telling us a bit about yourself and your interest in this area, please? So, hello and thank you, Lisa, for that lovely introduction. I've been a registered general nurse for over... 30 years and I've worked mainly in palliative care during that time so in people's own homes and in hospitals and hospices and care homes both um, in the NHS and charity but I've also been a carer and caregiver for 15 years both in the home and in hospital and in the care home and so whilst many of my role my nursing roles have been in direct clinical practice or management or educational research I've also been very interested in the production of good evidence and how we translate that into practice because of my personal and professional interest in how good home palliative care is designed and delivered. And so I think that whilst I'm particularly interested in that relationship um, between patient activity and service outcomes, I'm also interested in how it happens in the real world. Um, And that's why um, I'm interested in the brilliant study that we're talking about today. Lovely, thank you. So in relation to the paper that the commentary was written about, can you tell us a little bit about the concept of brilliance in this study and and what that means? Yes, of course. So there's there's quite a few things that went through my mind when I was reading um, the study. And I guess some of it goes back to what caught my attention about the study by um, Eileen Collier and colleagues from Australia. And I think it was about the fact that it was to determine what contributes to pockets of excellence in home-based palliative care because often we focus on what doesn't work well but I think in the real world of practice in my experience often it's helpful to know what is working well so that we can replicate it duplicate it or scale it up into other areas so I think what the concept of brilliance did here is bring some theoretical and research thinking into the real world of practice so for example the 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 study comes from the concept of uh, complexity thought so that's about how you connect and contextualize things how do you join things up rather than looking at things as individual separate interactions or interventions how do they all relate to each other so I think that is what brilliance um, study was about but also you mentioned earlier about positive organizational scholarship in healthcare and I have to admit I had to go and look that up because I wasn't I'd never heard of it before but when I read about it and when I read the study a bit more I thought how much sense it made to again be looking at what is working as well as only as instead of only focusing on what doesn't work and what the concept of brilliance in the study also includes is participation by the people within the study now that was actually 93 people from two Australian home care palliative care teams Um, and they ended up kind of with 
over 700, I think it was 713 hours of videos of their consultations with patients and carers and with themselves and with other teams. But what that meant is that the knowledge they were producing was very relevant to everyday practice. So I thought a lot of data, a lot of real world knowledge, a lot of real world creation of knowledge. And that's how interesting this concept of let's focus on what is working and really understand the interaction and interventions. And I think then finally, what Brilliance also included was the, the, the video reflexive ethnography or VRE as they call it. And I think in research and practice today, we're beginning to use video um, videos for research and as, as a methodological approach, but we're not using them enough. And so what the VRE did within this concept of participatory knowledge and understanding what works as well as what doesn't work is it enabled the researchers and the practitioners those 93 people to be able to video their interactions and their conversations reflect back on it and to understand um, if you like what was working what the gaps of knowledge were what they needed to continue to do and what perhaps they hadn't noticed about each other's and i think and by the way, I think what we need to remember here is that when they talk about reflexivity in this study, it's they're describing it as being distinct from reflection. So they argue that while reflection is about your individual and, fo and focused, reflexivity is collaborative and open-ended and immediate. So there is something about turning your, your thoughts and your reflections into immediate knowledge and immediate action. So I think that's why the this study, if you like, the brilliant study, for me, has three main things. It's about recognizing context and connections, it's about a participatory approach, and it's about using video reflex ethnography to understand what is going on. And why, given your background in home-based palliative care, why would you say that these concepts are particularly relevant to home-based palliative care? Good question. Really good question. Because actually, I think the authors also argue that these the concepts of the, the brilliance and the video reflex of ethnography and the participatory approach is actually relevant to any other models of care. They've just decided to focus it on home-based palliative care. But for me, we, we live in a society with aging populations, with multiple comorbidities. We've got a global rise of cancer and chronic illnesses, including dementia. Um, and we know that there's a high need for good quality care, both in the home setting, but also in the hospital and care home and hospice setting. So to have a, a concept which is saying we are trying to understand from the ground up why what works and what doesn't work is just as important to as the bigger demographic studies and in fact they make a very interesting point about saying they are producing a different form of credible knowledge i think there's also something about we know that home-based palliative care works but we still don't know enough about how it works and what it works and i think for me so for example if we are looking for a good patient and family outcome for for dying at home one of the gold standards would be about a good death whatever that may be but how do we know what bit of the service is making the difference so for example is it because the end of life last days of life medications have been prescribed and dispensed administrated or is it because somebody has noticed families concerns and addressed them and attended to their social and emotional needs just as much as the practicalities of um, dying in a, in a home setting. So I think what 
this study does is enable us to look at things separately but together um, to be able to think what is it that, we, that makes the difference. I think there's also something also very interesting about do our current evaluation methods really capture that which matters to patients and families and I was very struck about patient safety and patient secu um, security and what the similarities or differences may be between healthcare practitioners perceptions of that and maybe families so for example as a nurse I may think patient safety is about no medication incidents and assessing risk and assessing capacity and um, pressure sores and that sort of thing but a family and carers um, sense of patient security or patient safety may be a feeling of competence and caring and compassion from us as nurses so again there's that kind of understanding what is home-based palliative care so would you say that one of the most important aspects of this study is the the use of the methods or approaches that really give us the opportunity to tap into what matters to people most and then how we as practitioners can align our practice with that. That's a really, really interesting and, and good question. It's something I've been thinking about a lot and I've, I've gone, go up, gone over and over in my mind about why was I so interested in this particular study? And I think I mean, I, I can say to you, yes, of course, this is about the findings. So, you know, there's something about treating people as people, which we all should be doing as nurses. There's something about relationships and about us establishing relationships with, with patients and their families, but also with other parts of the service. So all that things that we do, that logistical mediating and navigating between services to get good care. And there's something about the confidence to be flexible, what I mean by that is that we, when we go in to assess um, the care for somebody, we may have our intention to say, I want to understand what's going on and I want to understand what, what's most important to them and what we can do. But we don't, if we go in with a tick list, we're not get as much information as tell me what's going on, but you're, and how do I find out what matters to you? So that's that thing about confidence to be flexible. But for me, the really think really striking thing here is about how we build the capacity of a team, the, with both the immediate team and the wider team, to understand how to provide the best possible care for somebody. If we understand how that happens, then we can carry on good practice. So for me, that's the most important aspect: is understanding how we are in a, if you like, in a ever-changing health and social care landscape with an ever-dwindling pot of money where should we be focusing our care to make the most difference to patients and their families? Absolutely. And I guess you know, based on, on that and, and based on the fact that, that we don't have a, an endless pot of money, what further research do you think is needed off the back of this study? The easy answer, of course, is more research. Just mm -hmm. do more research. But I want to be more specific and helpful here. And I, I first of all, I think that the... Um, I think the video reflexive ethnography has much to offer and I, I'd, I'd like to see it further tested and implemented and in fact it's already going on in other areas so for example there are other research studies using VRE video reflexive ethnography in dementia care and patient safety and communication skills training so I'd like to see more of that because I think that helps keeps the person at the centre of what we do within a research methodology. But I'd also like to see more work done on building this team's capacity make, by making brilliant study. And when I was reading it, I was really struck by its resemblance to some other studies that talk about the importance of a wraparound infrastructure. So there's been some interesting work, for example, in care homes about 
in order to do good palliative care in care homes, you need to have an infrastructure of all the different teams around them who understand the purpose and the roles and responsibilities and how each, each member of the team works. So I think there's something for me about if we understand more about the team's capacity to be good, then we can understand how we can focus what we do in each difference, so whether it's the paramedic or the GP, or whether it's the care home staff, or whether it's the district nurse, we can understand what is our role in all these little bits of a patient's life. Because in essence, we only go into a little bit of their life at any one time. The rest of their lives has lived, lived with other people and within their families. So we need to understand how we can make the most difference in the time that we have for them. And I think the, finally, the thing which I mentioned earlier, I think within the paper, there is that nod to the fact that healthcare practitioners and patient and families understanding or conceptualization of patient safety and security is different and I think I'd like to understand us for us to understand that a little bit more because some of the things that we do we do because they are monitorable measurable and reportable upon but I think we can't always capture what really makes a good death for somebody whether it's at home or elsewhere unless we actually think of other ways to to talk discuss reflect and capture what what's most meaningful for the family so i'd like to understand a little bit more about patient safety and security and you touched on earlier about um, our relationships with people in other parts of the service so are there any specific implications related to that and having this confidence to be flexible that you think this study has for healthcare professionals and for nurses in particular I think for nurses, as much as with anyone else, where my mind had actually drifted to is about what is nursing and how do we as a profession account for what we do in terms of not only assessment and diagnosing and managing um, conditions and interventions, but also our role modelling and our accompanying and our advocacy for patients and their families. So where my mind had drifted for a moment is that there is the, the confidence to not only know how to manage the intricacies of medical conditions in, in its broadest term, but also to still retain and see the person in the middle of that and not being afraid to, if you like, go off, off agenda just for a moment to find out what that person is thinking or feeling. Because sometimes we need to give people the opportunity to to think and reflect on things before they know what they want to do or what the ne next actions might be. I mean, for patients and the families. So there's something about that richness of, I know what I want to achieve by the time I walk out of this person's home, but I, when I go in, I'm, I am comfortable to go at the agenda or the route or the journey or the way that the person and the family want me to do to find that information. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And there's, and there's also something there about helping practitioners to develop that courage to do these things as well and to, to step outside those traditional kind of roles or responsibilities, but actually putting the person at the centre of this will require some things that aren't part of our traditional remit. No, I totally agree with you. And I think, I think it's hard and I think it's challenging. And I think we, you know, we also live in a time where sometimes it feels like you have to be very defensive in what you do as a nurse or a clinician, but there's still something about those, the confidence to have those higher decision-making skills, if you like, which is actually, 
I am going to address that question or I'm not going to, I'm just going to leave that be for a moment because actually what this person needs is more time to, to let it run around in their mind or in their heart before they, before they say what they're most worried about or what they're most concerned about or what they most need. Um, and also I know from a lot of the other evidence, we sometimes just package people down to little biomedical pockets of their lives when actually we're as human beings, we're so much more, than that but I think that nurses and other clinicians we need to also have the confidence and the support from others to be able to do that so that it's and I think again within the paper it alludes to the fact that a lot of our reporting measures these days are are reportable because they are we can capture them whereas a lot of people's lives um are not so capturable. We can't always describe how we're feeling or we're thinking or what we're worried about because we don't always know. It's a bit like a Jahari window. You don't sometimes know what you don't know until it's happening to you. And then you think, I wish I'd known that. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I think that brings us to a really nice point that if listeners were to take away one key message from this podcast, what would you want that to be? <laughs> Only one. Oh, <laughs> um, I think apart from the results, obviously, for me, I think the study shows how usual academic research practices can be challenged. So that this idea of a different way to gather data and, and evidence. And so I'd want to encourage academics to collaborate and learn from practitioners. And I, in turn, I'd like to encourage practitioners to collaborate with academics to make sense of and contribute to, to knowledge and evidence. So basically get involved together as practitioners, as researchers, if you like, as academic practitioners or practicing academics, get involved. Thank you, Sarah. I would like to express my thanks to you again on behalf of Evidence-Based Nursing Journal. Thank you, Lisa, for a really interesting and stimulating conversation. Um, I can also be found on Twitter on the, as Learn Hospice or We End of Life Care because Twitter is one of the places where we like to engage and discuss and debate some of these issues. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. And you can also find Evidence-Based Nursing on Twitter at EBNursingBNG or on Facebook at BNG for Nursing. And of course, there's new blogs, commentaries and podcasts available on the Evidence-Based Nursing website at www.ebn.bng.com. Thank you.